Welcome to the Trinity Grace Church Tribeca podcast. At Trinity Grace Church, our mission is to help New Yorkers grow in love by practicing the way of Jesus for the good of our city. If you're interested in Trinity Grace Church Tribeca, check out our website at tgctribeca.com where you can learn more about us and learn about ways that you can help support our church and this podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook to see and hear what's going on in our community. Thank you for joining us today and welcome grace and peace to you. Chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. The Gospel of our Lord. So before I offer my reflections on this text, I'd like you to invite you into a practice of being present. Um, Because what makes a moment holy is that we show up to it. And uh, so much of life, we sort of just put it on autopilot and we coast through. And uh, and we're not fully present. So we miss the things that are possible in our lives. And right now, I just invite you, as best as you know how, with whatever you bring into the room. It could be lots of faith. It could be lots of doubt. Just bring your full self to this moment and open your heart to the possibility that God could take these words, my words, this moment, and use it to stir faith and love and hope in your life. Let's take a quiet moment to open our hearts to God as best as you know how. God, we thank you for this community. We thank you for this community in this city at this time, and we pray that you'd use this moment to spur us on toward our calling, to spur us on both toward what we're doing individually, but also what we're trying to do collectively. Uh, Move us toward more clarity, toward more courage, toward more faith, and we pray that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, when I ask you the question, what is God like? How you answer that is a really important question because how we imagine God often connects deeply to how we live our lives and how we treat our neighbor or even our enemy. Uh, In fact, so much of world history can be summed up with how people are riffing on their view of God. Um, Here we are two blocks from one of the greatest cultural wounds of our country, 9-11 and the attacks of 9-11. And when those towers fell and when they crashed, that happened in the name of God. 
someone committed great acts of violence, great acts of destruction in the name of God. And that's not just uh, an isolated moment in world history. This has happened over and over and over again. And it's not just been with any one particular religion. This has been true among all religions. It seems to be a human problem that humans have a hard time taking the God stuff and then taking all their anger and their hatred and their violence and keeping them distinct. We like to marry those two in many ways. And so when I ask the question, what is God like? It really is, and often, in many cases, a matter of life and death. And as Christians, we answer that question through the language of the Trinity. Um, we hold this paradox together that God is one and God is three. That God is a unity and that God is a diversity. And um, when I grew up in, in uh, different church circles, this was talked about in so many varieties of ways, but it always felt kind of like a logic puzzle, almost like a Rubik's Cube kind of situation, like try to figure out the God problem of the Trinity. Like, how do you make sense of it? And I remember all the analogies, and I'm sure if you grew up in, in a, a Christian context, you also were handed different analogies just to try to solve the puzzle, right? Um, it, God is like water that can appear in uh, uh, frozen form, gas form, liquid form. One substance, three forms. And of course, that's fine as far as it goes, but it really does break down. Like that actually doesn't depict what the church has been saying about the Trinity. And so it's helpful, it's interesting, but it really falls radically short. Or the sun, the sun puts off heat and light, and it, it is distinctly the sun. Uh, and it you know, happens conveniently to be called the sun, which is one third of the Trinity. So that's helpful, but also it falls short of what we're trying to get at when we say God is Trinity. And so what I thought I would do this morning is rather than treat the Trinity like a sort of logic puzzle that we have to sort of figure out through various analogies, I, would, I, I wanna bring it back to story. Because um, unless the Trinity is a part of a story that you're living out and it, and it fills your imagination of how you live your story, then the Trinity really doesn't matter as a doctrine for your life. And if you ask a lot of Christians, like, what, what are you most excited about when it comes to your faith? Very few people just out of their gut instincts say, oh, the doctrine of the Trinity. Like, that's what's really getting me going right now. Like, this idea that God is three in one. Something's growling behind me. What is that? It's okay. It's fine. But I'd, if, if we can turn that off, that'd be fantastic. But if it's got to be on, then we're just going to move with it. Now everybody's listening for it, but it's just, it feels, I'm like, what is that? Um, and with the Trinity, we ask, what is that? <laughs> this morning, I want to I pose this, this sort of idea, and then I want to work it out in story form, all right? So here's the idea. The idea is that for the doctrine of the Trinity, we're saying two things at the same time. We're saying that there's no such thing as a person that can exist without the other. There's no such thing as an isolated sense of self. But we're also saying that the person, the individual, can't get collapsed or lost in the group. That somehow there's this collective part of life, there's this collective part of reality that doesn't diminish who you are as an individual, but there's also this individual part of who you are that isn't contained in just you, like you are connected to the whole in a profound way. 
And our doctrine of God as Trinity is, is an insight into how we relate to um, people who are different than us, into how we relate to ourselves and think about ourselves in this world. Now, I want to start from the beginning because that's where all good stories begin. And, you know, the, the doctrine of the Trinity is formed in some ways as a response to a problem. And the problem is, frankly, the kind of stuff we see at 9-11. It's the problem of sin and violence. And it's made even more egregious when you tack God onto that violence. And so we've struggled to put words to that, but even in doctrines like the original sin, what we're trying to get at there is that we're born into this web, this sort of pattern of behavior that we're all profoundly shaped by and groomed by that goes against the love of God. It goes against the will of God. And we're in need of saving. We're in need of a new way of seeing, a new way of being that puts us in touch with reality. And of course, when we're talking about God, we're talking about ultimate reality. And so I'd like to start at the beginning. We all know that in you know, the Bible's story, the very founding story of, of the creation of the world is, of course, God making the world and then creating humanity in God's image and in God's likeness. God makes human beings that reflect God into the world in a profound way. Um, you and I, as we live, as individuals and collectively, we are speaking God into the world. When we see one another, we are learning of and, and, and picking up something of God in the world. And in Christian theology, we've often talked about it this way, that when things started to go wrong with humanity, what was lost was not the image of God, but the likeness of God. We were created in God's image and likeness, but when things started to go off the rails, all of a sudden, humanity stopped looking like God, and it started looking like something else. And though we retain dignity, and we're, we're very important and special because we're made in God's image, we're creative, we're moral, we're all these wonderful things, we still have a big problem to face. And the, the way that we've talked about that problem was often through the story of Adam and Eve. Remember the story? Adam and Eve are in the garden, Things are wonderful. They're enjoying one another. They're enjoying the created world around them. I mean, there's wonderful fruit and amazing uh, trees and garden, and life is good. They're, they're doing meaningful work, and things are coasting along until a voice enters the story. And it's a voice of doubt. It's a voice of skepticism. It's a voice that says, something's off here. Like, this feels like it's going good, but have you noticed this thing? And of course, what's the this thing the serpent points out? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, yeah, God said don't touch that thing. And the reason he said that is because he's holding out on you. <laughs> this is my translation. That, that's not the verbatim. Um, but God's holding out on you. And God knows if you eat that, you're going to be like God. And so that little seed of discontent is planted in the heart of humanity. And in many ways, the story of human beings is the story of that struggle, of that discontent, of that unfulfilled desire and the conflict that comes from it. Um, there's a guy named René Girard. Everybody say René Girard. René Girard. René Girard was a French uh, scholar who, he studied Shakespeare and literature and he loved great stories, like the great old stories. And as he studied those stories, he realized, I'm seeing patterns here. Um, like I'm noticing that uh, certain characters, uh, they want something and then another person wants that thing and then they come into conflict and there's like a pattern of how they deal with that. 
And he started to sketch out this theory in literature. And then he started to study ancient cultures, like ancient, ancient cultures, like uh, sort of like ancient Near Eastern uh, tribes as old as we have on record of what life was like. And he started to notice the same exact patterns there. And then he eventually came to the Hebrew Bible. And the Hebrew Bible, he started to see the same pattern there, but he saw something different. He saw human being, something was, was being revealed. This pattern he saw in literature and in world origins, or cultural origins, was being unveiled in the Hebrew scriptures in a way he had not seen before. And then he studied the story of Jesus, and he had this light bulb go off of what Jesus was doing in the world. Now, what is it that Gerard saw? He, he usually diagrammed it like a triangle. So imagine a big triangle, and uh, at the top of the triangle is an object of desire. So it's something that is wanted. Um, I was last night at a rooftop barbecue, and it was such a fun time, eating food, enjoying the beautiful weather. This weather's been amazing. And uh, there were children up there. My children was included, uh, my, were included, grammar. And uh, the, uh, my four-year-old was uh, wondering what this new toy was that everybody was playing with. And it really wasn't a toy. It was like these uh, uh, like beads that are very tiny. You put them in water, and they sort of swell up. Have you seen these things? And um, I walked up, and I, what, what are they called? Corpies? Corpies? Orbies? That makes sense. Orb is circular. So uh, I see all these smashed Orbies on the, on the roof deck, like multiple colors just smashed, like the kids had been stomping on them like grapes in the wine press. And my four-year-old comes up and is like, what is this? I want to play with this. And he's handed a cup of Orbies. And he takes these, and he's just amazed. Now, there was another kid who had been playing the whole time who said, I want that. Okay, so now we have our object of desire, right? Think of the triangle. There's the object of desire at the top, the Orby, Orby cup. Now, what does a responsible parent do? Say, oh, no, 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 there's, there's, so much of these. there's so many of these. You can have some too. Hands the kid the cup. The kid looks at his cup, looks at the cup he said he wanted, throws his cup in the trash and says, I want that one. Because that's what we do with our objects of desire. Now, if the object of desire is at the top of the triangle, What's at the bottom corners? Well, you have the person who desires the object, and then you have the imitator. Now, in this case, my son desired the object. And then the other kid saw what he had and borrowed that desire. And what Rene Girard realized is that we kind of operate under this myth that what we want in life in any given moment is what we want. Like, that came from us. That originated in us. But the mystery that's being revealed, not only through Rene Girard's theory, but also through neuroscience, is that all of our desire is borrowed. We have these things in our brains called mirror neurons, which uh, is a powerful form of learning. Like that's our superpower as human beings. The reason we learn language, the reason we learn so powerfully and beautifully is because we have this mirror neuron we can copy. And through copying, we learn. But also, through copying, we conflict. And so we all know the feeling, whether it's a love triangle, which is famous in literature and also in our lives. And we also have uh, the example of gossip and rumors and talking about someone and triangulating against someone. We know that experience of conflict. Um, we know the experience in sports. When we go to a big sporting event, I, and listen, I'm going to sound like Donald Trump right now. No one loves sports more than me. Like I love sports so much, but sports is often a... Um, 
it's a cathartic release. It's a, it's a way for us to get our tension and our energy out, that competitive, rivalistic tension. Um, it, it's so funny, like, we'll often in church, like, show very little emotion. But at our football games or our baseball games or our basketball games, we will go buck wild. Why is that? Because we're, we're looking for ways to manage this problem, this tension. And so Rene Girard says we all sort of live in this violent triangle where the two people who want something, they become rivals, and that conflict it escalates to the point where they either destroy one another or someone is excluded. Now, this happens with little four-year-olds, and it happens in our own little ways, but it also happens as groups. 9-11 um, is a great example. You have two groups in the world that are in conflict with one another for lots of different complex reasons, and they're looking for ways to resolve the conflict. And so we have wars and rumors of wars and escalating conflicts, and eventually we find a scapegoat. And that's what Rene Girard found over and over, is there's always a person or a group that someone blames, you know? Uh, we've all known this in our little communities, probably. Uh, have you ever been a part of a church community and things go wrong and the pastor gets blamed? Have you ever been a part of uh, a country where things were not going well and the leader gets blamed? No, I know you haven't, but like, have you heard of that? <laughs> um, we have ways of managing the conflict through scapegoating. And what Rene Girard saw in the Bible was like, oh my goodness, the scapegoat mechanism is being revealed. Like the prophets are showing this is a thing we do as humans that we pretend is, is good and noble and we even put God language on it, but it's really the heart of our darkness. It's the heart of our evil. It's the way that we channel our violence in the world in ways that are acceptable to ourselves. And Jesus is unveiling that and saying, no more can you use God in this way. No more. Jesus becomes the victim. He becomes the scapegoat and then says, now go and follow me. Go with my way into this world and preach the good news to all the nations of the world caught in this violent triangle. Rene Girard found in Jesus, indeed, good news for our world. Something different. Because what Jesus did is he, he basically took that triangle and shifted it to a love triangle. Now, here's where the Trinity gets crazy. Because the Trinity is itself a love triangle. It is telling us that ultimate reality, at the core of everything that's beautiful and wondrous, makes us cry, makes us laugh, at the core of it is relationship. At the core of it is this beautiful, dynamic dance of love. In fact, theologians called it perichoresis, which means to dance together with. Um, it's where we get our word choreography. Um, does anybody have a fidget spinner in here? Anyone? No? Okay. Have you ever seen a fidget spinner? All right, so fidget spinner, when you hold it, that would have been a nice object lesson. We searched our house this morning. We don't have one anymore, so I just thought I'd, we got a lot of students here, so I figured maybe someone had one on them. Um, fidget spinner. What the problem with the fidget spinner is, is uh, it's, it's kind of meant to spin, and when it's spinning, um, all three sections sort of lo lose their distinction, and you just see it in motion. It looks like a beautiful circle. But when you stop it, it's these three distinct parts. And what we often do with the Trinity is we, we, we like stop the spinning and then we analyze and dissect each part. And that's cool. That's like interesting. Like you would learn a lot about a fidget spinner by keeping it still and sort of studying it, right? But you really don't get a fidget spinner until you see it in action. 
And I think that's what happens with the Trinity, is like we could stop and dissect it and analyze it and think about the constituent parts and how they operate and what the church has said about it. But man, unless we see it in motion, we really aren't understanding the Trinity because the Trinity is a love triangle. It's a dance. There's this movement and flow of God in the world that we're being invited to participate in. Like the Trinity is an invitation to participate in the love that's existed from forever. And that's what the beauty of our faith and distinctiveness of our faith teaches us, is that our God is a God who wasn't lonely and sort of twiddling God's thumbs and was like, you know, I would love to, love to have some company here. And so makes the world and makes humanity. Now, God has been this eternal, vibrant, bubbling, jovial dance from the beginning. And we are created and human history is unfolding as an invitation to participate in this loving dance of God. And what Jesus came to show us is that we don't have to live in the violent sin triangle. We can actually live in a different way, with a different imagination. When we see God as plentiful, as um, abundant, as with no limits, as not having a scarce sort of limited set of resources we're all competing for, but instead there's enough for all, then we all can settle down and live from a place of ease rather than that sort of frustration and that angst and that violence that happens when it's like there's not enough and I've got to grab what's mine and I've got to protect what's mine. Two totally different mindsets. And you see this building in the Bible from the time of Adam and Eve when they look at that tree and they think there's not enough. We've got to jockey and compete. And then Adam and Eve end up hurting each other to the when their children kill each other. Basically, there's a, a murder. Cain kills Abel out of that same sense of rivalry. And God there is the object, God's love, God's approval. And that cycles through human history over and over again. And we have our ways of managing, you know, he's the problem, she's the problem, that group is the problem, that political party is the problem, that country is the problem, that religion is the problem. And it's just what humans do when we're stuck in the violent triangle of sin. But the gospel is, and what the doctrine of the Trinity teaches us, is there's another way out of that loop. There's another way out. The way of faith, the way of love, the way of hope, shown to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus had a way of looking at God that was abundant. He would say, I'm here to do God's will. And even in our text, as we read it today, there's this sense of generosity, this sense of like, I don't do whatever I want to do. I, I kind of like follow what I sense God doing. And then the Holy Spirit follows and sends what we want to happen into the world. And so there's this sense of cooperation. Um, none of the Trinity are intimidated by each other. They're not threatened by each other. They cooperate with one another. They know there's more than enough. And they invite us into that way of seeing. Now, how would that change your life? How would that change how you come into the workplace? You come into that sales meeting. You come into that PTA meeting or that board meeting. When you're trying to solve the problems that you face in your life, and you're tempted to think, like, there's scarce resources here. We need to do everything we can to compete and to push people out and down in order to get what we want. But then the invitation of the Trinity comes rushing in. This invitation to see the abundance. Now, Jesus looked at a, a crowd of 5,000 and a few loaves and fishes and said, there's plenty. There's enough. Jesus looked at the disciples after they had betrayed him, after they had abandoned him, after they had basically done everything they said they wouldn't do. He looks at them and says, my peace I bring to you. 
Or on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God doesn't work on scarce mechanisms, scarce resources. Oh, you messed up. We're holding that from you. No, God just teaches over and over that God's love is abundant, that God's resources never run out. And Jesus is saying, I know you're looking for ways to slice and dice humanity. Like, what's my responsibility to my family? What's my responsibility to my neighbor? And what's my responsibility to my enemy? And Jesus is like, listen, there's no us in them. It's all us. Like, yes, love God. Love your neighbor. Love your family. But even love your enemy because there's no them. There's only us. Jesus in the early church went through the same thing from the Jewish people. They started going, oh, wait a minute. What God's doing is bigger than this in the world. It's open and it's inviting to even the Gentiles. And St. Paul would write to the Galatians that there's neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Greek. He's starting to see all these ways we slice and dice humanity in our effort to control the conflict, in our effort to bring order to a chaotic world. He says, that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is through the unconditional love of God that welcomes everybody to the table. And Jesus' table just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And Jesus would go to the other people's table, even the people that he shouldn't have been hanging out with. He goes to their table. And he gets into so much trouble from it. And the reason is because he's dancing the dance of the triune God. And so today on Trinity Sunday, what we're invited to is to dance that dance and to reflect on all the ways that we are stuck or addicted to that sort of violent triangle, that way of imagining the world that says there's not enough and we've got to compete, and we don't really like it, and it's not nice, and we don't really celebrate it, but sometimes we just got to do hard things. we got to do violent things to keep the order and to get what we want. Jesus challenges that and says there is better news on offer, that we need to repent, change our minds, change our ways of thinking, and see the love of God, the gift of God on display in the person of Christ And open our hearts to receive it so that we can give it out to others and find this new way that we call the kingdom of God. And so, friends, this morning, there's sort of an internal audit that we're invited to do of, like, what's going on in my own life? Where are the conflicts? Where are the fires in my life? And how would this vision of God as Trinity invite me to think of a different way? How would this vision of God as Trinity invite me to reposition my conflict where I'm not in rivalry or an enemy, but I can learn to lay my life down. I can learn to cooperate. I can learn to forgive. I can learn to build bridges. I can learn to reconcile. I can learn to do the hard work of making peace. How might the Trinity be inviting you into that dance, the dance that's gone on from the ages that says you're not alone, you never were alone, but you're also part of something bigger. And you're not lost in that bigger. You're actually enriched by that bigger. A lot of us shrink at diversity because it's scary. It's like they're different than us. They speak a different language. They think about the world differently. They're politically differently or different than us. And what we need in our world more than ever is to move toward each other with curiosity, to understand one another, to put ourselves in another's shoes, to see the dignity of God, the image of God, even in our enemy, whatever that might look like. And Jesus is challenging us to imagine the world that way. He's almost begging us to do it. The people who are angry with Jesus are the people who are like, no, 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 no. Anybody but them. (laughs) Like, I'll listen to anybody but them. I'll have empathy with anybody but them. 
because we're addicted to the scapegoat thing. And Jesus says, I'll be the scapegoat so you can listen to everyone now. Rather than thinking we're diminished by diversity, we need to start to learn that we find divinity in diversity. That's what the doctrine of the Trinity points us to. And so I invite you to that posture, to that reflection. Wrestle with this doctrine in your life as you wrestle with your conflict and your fears and your insecurities. Let the good news of God's love be with you richly and deeply. And in the words of St. Paul, may you know the height and the depth and the length of the love of God, which we see in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Trinity Grace Church Tribeca podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. And please take time to rate and review. And of course, we couldn't do this without your support. So if you would like to make a donation, you can text TGC Tribeca to 77977. That's TGC Tribeca to 77977. And your support is very much appreciated. Grace and peace to you.